All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Divinely You podcast. We are resurfacing the Bodybuilder Project, the show series that got this podcast started. Um, doing another interview today. Don't forget, you can head over to patreon.com slash divinely you, and you can subscribe to the monthly program. We are in March. March is going to be all about closure and completion. Um, get a couple of great workshops, including a writing workshop later this month uh, with guest coach Abigail Gazda, who's authored three books on her own and several books as a ghostwriter. Is amazing, amazing coach. You're going to want to be a part of that workshop. Um, if you're curious about writing, journaling, and in general, getting your thoughts out on your paper. Um, also in March, I'm introducing the Daily Nudge, which is basically a little snippet audio file channeled message from me every day, just to give you a either journaling or a meditation prompt, um, you know, for you to just kind of ponder on. It's actually part of a, a bigger picture dream I have of writing a book of daily affirmations uh, in an audio format. So <laughs> I decided I would start doing it now and get into the habit um, of, of providing that. So patreon.com slash divinely you, you can check it out there. Of course, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at divinely you podcast. And um, I think that's it. So back into the Bodybuilder Project, if you remember, this is the peer interview series that I host on this podcast, um, letting basically talking to friends about their nutrition or their fitness, how they build the body that serves and supports their life. And so today I am super excited. I finally got this gal to uh, get got her on here. Um, today I have Serena Olson. She's a friend of mine. I met her when I was living in California. And uh, she's amazing. And the one thing I noticed about her is she's a complete foodie and a yarn crafter and all of the fun things. And so I'm super excited to have her on here. She is going to talk about her journey with the Whole30 diet or elimination program or whatever it's defined as. <laughs> um, and so I'm just going to let Serena tell her. Serena, thank you so much for being on the show. I really I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you so much for having me on. I actually feel a little bit of privilege that I can squeeze into the category of bodybuilder project because <laughs> I'm certainly not a bodybuilder in the traditional sense of the word, the word. Um, but definitely in the, the pandemic times, um, I'm doing a great job of, of building my body <laughs> in some ways, not in entirely healthy ways. <laughs> Oh, but I'm enjoying it. That's the important part. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, go back to the beginning, kind of share with us how you happened upon Whole30. What made you decide to go down that journey? Um, and yeah, just kind of tell us your story. I, I was a vegetarian in my youth, like maybe 20 to 25-ish. As a teenager, I started getting squeamish about meat. It was kind of a psychological thing. And I, I started learning more about the factory farm process. Um, and it was a big turnoff. So I just decided to go vegetarian, which I did for a number of years. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're eating well, right? It just means you're not eating meat, especially <laughs> when you're a 20-something. Uh, I, I did a lot of international traveling in my 20s and after a number of, of awkward encounters, um, both cultural and language, um, I kind of eased out of the vegetarian lifestyle. I'd say like my late 20s to my mid 30s. Um, 
kind of transitioned into this zone of pseudo vegetarian. <laughs> yeah, I eat meat. I try not to eat a lot. I try to keep it minimal. Um, 2010, I moved up here to the Bay Area where I am currently. Um, I started being a little more food conscious. I, I moved in with a good friend of mine who has a, a background as an athlete. So she was very familiar with, you know, measuring your portions and she mm -hmm. knew exactly how many calories an egg had or a banana or whatever. Uh, and I started thinking in more quantitative terms about what I was eating. Mm. And of course, technology by this time is, is rolling right along. So I've got an iPhone and I have access to my fitness pal. So I start food journaling and I start really keeping track of what's going into my body every day. And I start looking at the protein category in particular, and I start having this horrible realization that in, in a way, a skinless, boneless chicken breast is kind of, it's almost the perfect food from a nutritional standpoint. <laughs> it gets you to your, your protein goals without pushing you way over the boundaries of, of things like cholesterol and fat. And, uh, and I started realizing that all those non-meat sources of protein, uh, while they have lots of nutritional value, um, in order to get what you really need in terms of your daily protein intake when you're eating eggs and legumes and, and nuts and so forth, you're going way overboard in terms of cholesterol, fat, um, yeah. and, and whatnot, right? So it's a balance. Uh, and, and I started having this horrible realization that it was probably better for my well-being to start eating more meat if, if getting adequate levels of protein and, and monitoring all those other um, food categories was was the goal then you know maybe more meat would be I'd be better off so I, I started Definitely. embracing my identity as a carnivore um, I I came to understood bacon as the new cheese, right? It's, <laughs> it's protein dense and it's salty and it makes everything you put it on even more amazing. Uh, so I started developing a love for bacon around this time. I started really entering my identity as, as a carnivore at that point. Uh, I also started noticing I was having some digestive issues. I, I was grazing. If you're not familiar with grazing, it's, you know, rather than having three solid meals a day, it's more small portions of healthy snacks throughout the day. And intellectually, I'm thinking this makes a lot of sense, right? Like to sustain your energy throughout the day, just eating small, uh, healthy snacks. And it was, it was kind of working out, except that I was living in a house with a family and we would cook a communal meal when we got home from work at the end of the day. And man, at the end of a, a long work day and a long commute, a big, big hearty bowl of pasta or whatever that we were eating, <laughs> um, seconds on the Brussels sprouts, please. Um, it was a lot of food. Even if it was quote unquote healthy food, it was still a lot of food. And right. I started noticing that like the minute I pushed back my plate, like I could feel I had a brick in my stomach and I would go upstairs and lay on my bed and I would be uncomfortable for several hours, you know, until like literally past this brick, like it would just sit in my stomach ugh, and you just had this horrible feeling. Yeah. And, I, and I'm noticing, you know, is this correlative or causative, but I think this happens more often when I'm eating brassicas vegetables, which can be hard on the digestive system, right? But they're, they're the best vegetables. They're my right. favorite vegetables. The and so define those for us. So those, oh yeah. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So all those, all those wonderful 
you know, I, I feel like my meal is not complete unless there's something green. Like even if I just garnish mm -hmm. with a little chopped green onion or something, like I need green yeah. vegetables on my plate. Um, and, and the brassicas family, man, those are the best. Um, <laughs> but I started noticing like maybe, maybe it's the brassicas vegetables. Um, so I go see my, my GP, right? Like I'm having digestive issues. Mm -hmm. she basically says <laughs> you're not getting enough fiber and I say no 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 look at my my fitness pal I I keep track of this stuff I'm not I'm getting like two to three times the recommended daily allowance of fiber I know this is not inadequate fiber like this right. is not my problem uh so she's a little she says well you know you maybe you need Metamucil it's time for psyllium husk and I'm like really <laughs> like am I that age now where Metamucil is the answer this is completely demoralizing um and and as a last ditch effort she recommended the FODMAP diet which I don't remember the entire acronym uh but it's an extremely restrictive elimination diet you know mm -hmm. to look for allergies and things of that nature and I and I took one look at it and I just thought no <laughs> Yeah. Like, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> this is bonkers. Uh, and, and I was, I was kind of dejected and, and sad because I felt like I wasn't being heard by my doctor because I asked for a referral to a nutritionist, which initially she would not do. Uh, and ultimately she did not do. Uh, she did, however, refer me to a gastroenterologist. Uh, and I was able to have, I think, a clearer conversation with him about it. And, and he said, you know, what this is, is probably not the quantity of fiber that is problematic. It's probably the quality of fiber. he said, mm -hmm. I'm going to recommend psyllium husk. And I looked at him and I said, that's what my GP recommended. Like this is Metamucil, right? Uh, he assured me that many of his colleagues, you know, relied on psyllium husk for, for good intestinal health uh, and that it was not, not entirely abnormal. So I gave it a try and Additionally, I also stopped grazing because I realized that habit of grazing, while intellectually it makes sense, in practical application, it was way too easy to overeat. I was, yeah. I was getting too many calories in a day. Um, dinner just pushed me right over the edge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so around that time, I, I, I switched to eating more concentrated meals rather than grazing. And I started taking psyllium husk and I did notice um, that thankfully I did not have an intolerance for brassicas vegetables, much to my relief. Um, <laughs> cannot live without Brussels sprouts. <laughs> no, that would have been the end of my world. Um, but rather just changing how I, I eat and, and trying out the psyllium husk made a difference as well. And the digestive issues seem to, uh, subside, but it got me really thinking, you know, about all the different ways, you know, that we can eat. There's vegan, vegetarian, keto, paleo, you know, no gluten, you know, no dairy, I'm lactose intolerant. There's, you know, any number of ways that people customize how they eat to meet their nutritional needs, either real right. or perceived, right? Yeah. Um, so it got me really thinking a lot about that. And I remembered seeing Whole30 kind of in passing and in particular, a good friend of mine had posted about it on Facebook, how she was in the middle of a whole 30 and, and she outlined, you know, not as restrictive and complicated as FODMAP, but still like no grains, no legumes, no dairy, um, no sugar, no alcohol. And, and all I could think was like, how can 
beans be bad for you? Like they're a great source of protein. They're a great source of fiber. And they're certainly economical, right? Especially if you get dry beans, they're really cheap. Right. Right. Um, so I, I just couldn't, I'm like, no, that's bonkers. Like how, how can beans <laughs> be bad for you? And so I didn't really think about it actively as, as an option or something that I would want to try. Uh, but I was turned on to the Gretchen Rubin Happier podcast and she had <laughs> Melissa Hartwig. So Melissa and Dallas Hartwig wrote, uh, it starts with food, which is quote unquote, mm. the whole 30 book. It explains it all in great detail, uh, the whys and the whats. Uh, she had Melissa Hartwig on her podcast. And so I had this opportunity to really hear directly from the authors of the book, the reasoning and the rationale behind it. And I thought, huh, you know, this, this actually makes a lot of sense. This seems like something really fun. Well, I don't know if fun is the right word, but it seems like something worth trying because I didn't know before that, that it's not meant to be a permanent lifestyle choice, right? Like it is a mm-hmm. 30, you know, plus 10 days of reentry. It's a 40 day commitment. Uh, and, and you make observations about the impact of that. You strip all these food categories from your diet for 30 days and then you reintroduce them and you make observations about how it affects you. Because clearly if there was one way to eat for everybody, like we wouldn't have so many different ways of, of eating, <laughs> of right? Eating. It's just magic <laughs> one bullet answer. Like you should be a vegan. No, you should be a vegetarian. No, you should go paleo. No, keto works for me. Well, that's it, right? It's individual and it's, it's different yeah, for everybody. Absolutely. And Whole30 is a really valuable tool to kind of start figuring out what dietary choices do work for you. So I tried the Whole30. Um, my husband who is extremely supportive, didn't participate with me fully, but he did um, read labels before he cooked with things. And, and when cooked meals That's together, awesome. they were always Whole30 friendly. He's like, yeah. I might eat a quesadilla afterwards. And I'm like, That's <laughs> <all new." laughs> you know, he was eating whatever at lunch when he was at the office. I don't know. So he was very supportive of me the first round, although he didn't participate with me fully. And, and I, I, the first and biggest takeaway from that first Whole30 was that the milk that I was putting in my coffee every morning, naively thinking that the fat and the protein in the milk was going to somehow buffer against coffee stomach, mm-hmm. um, was giving me clockwork heartburn, like three, four o'clock every day, every day, yeah. quitting time, just about the time it was time to leave the office. Uh, I would start getting this chronic heartburn and I had no idea what was causing it, except mm-hmm. that my best friend was pregnant and she was getting heartburn from her pregnancy. So I thought it was just sympathy heartburn, <laughs> um, nice. which is, which is ridiculous. Um, but who knows? So no, the whole 30, I cut the dairy, no milk in my coffee for 30 days, yeah. no heartburn. Nice. Um, and, and it kind of blew my mind. Wow you know, and the whole thing behind grains and beans, you think, oh, these are such healthy foods, you know, the um, dietary guidelines, you know, recommend portions of of grains every day, Mm -hmm. Uh, not in small part because the grain industry lobbies Congress, but that's a whole other conversation. (laughs) We could go down a whole rabbit hole on that (laughs) one. As does the dairy industry, which is why there's a certain class of dietary guidelines now. Oh, so that, that's a whole other story. And anything um, that becomes trendy, it's usually because they're trying to promote something. So all of the trendy type <laughs> stuff is, is so they can promote more expensive products. Anyway, yeah, so go on. The, 
the whole 30 explanation for cutting beans and grains, legumes and grains, uh, is that they're inflammatory, right? They kind of put your body in this constant state of essentially fighting off low grade infection, right? Which doesn't help your immune system's general functioning. So, right. I, I cut the legumes, I cut the grains, I did the whole 30. And um, I've actually done the whole 30 a couple of times. I've done it three times since. And and my husband's actually done it with me the, the second and third time. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and, and we did make it's so it's not meant to be a permanent lifestyle change. It does provide you with information about the food choices that you make moving forward. I kind of um, feel like, pizza? yeah, yep. yeah, that's kind of one of <laughs> but the, I know what that pizza is going to do to me. And I can say, yes. is this worth it right now? Or, yeah. you know, I'm going to enjoy this amazing, you know, bowl of pasta that I made. Um, but I know that my, that bloaty feeling in your stomach, right. that's the pasta or potentially, you know, the dairy and the cream sauce that I made. Right. Um, but I, you know, you do make choices moving forward. Like, you know, once upon a time, I would have just boiled the whole pound of pasta. Now I only boil half the pasta and I make sure to pack <laughs> it out with tons of extra protein and veg, right? So the ratio is a lot different. A lot different, so it, exactly. It, it helps you make small life, lifestyle changes, um, but it's not a lifetime commitment, but it does give you some insight into your own body and what's going to work for you. Not, you know, just because your friend is really enjoying the vegan diet doesn't mean it's going to be right for you. So my experience with the whole 30 has, you know, we, we have decided and, and we have the privilege to now buy pastured eggs, um, Mm -hmm. which was actually more my husband's prodding than mine. And we have a subscription to uh, butcher box, which is on the pricey side. Uh, you do pay for the convenience. We don't yeah. drive like um, we don't have a car. Right. Um, so getting, we were getting groceries delivered before the pandemic. <laughs> so it is, it is, you pay for the convenience. That is an absolute fact. Right. And you can find organic and pastured meats um, at mainstream grocery stores or sprouts or Trader Joe's or whole paycheck. Um, you can find them on sale if you start tracking how much things cost and you can get a decent deal on them. You do not have to go all in on, on the butcher box. Um, however, the advantage is that when you buy meats that are pastured and organic, um, they don't contain the same, um, the antibiotics and the toxins from the stress of factory farmed animals. It all ends up in the fats, right? right. So in theory, you could buy grocery store meats, just trim the fat. Because that's really where the most toxic stuff ends up. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've made some of these lifestyle choices, you know, and, and now that we do that, right. I don't feel bad. I don't feel horrible about, I render down a whole package of bacon. I do it slow and low and I pull that bacon out and I use it Mm. for whatever I'm cooking. And then I just strain out all that delicious bacon fatty flavor and I use that for cooking <laughs> moving forward right in other dishes I, I use I use animal fats to cook with a right. lot yeah I feel like there's a couple of like there's definitely more rabbit holes we could go down and, and I do that every time I, I interview on this podcast I'm like dang there's so many places to go yeah um you know, just energetically speaking, like, cause I mean, and I I've talked about like the fact that I practiced Reiki on this podcast before and, and how like things are all energetic. So you talked about like the energy behind like the factory farmed animals or even the factory farmed eggs and like whatever energy is in that is the energy that you then consume. 
And so like just being consciously aware of like the food you're eating, how, like, where did it come from so that, you know, um, and you, of course, if you do practice Reiki, you can energetically cleanse your food before you eat it, but there's still like the whole, like, you know, um, I have a tendency to like say goodbye to things in such a, like, uh, 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 I, I make a production out of it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Where like, if I'm returning a book to the library, like I like, you know, I, I give it all kinds of love. I thank it for, for being my book that I read and all of those things. And, and that's something that we can do like with our food, like you, right. We can like, for lack of a better word, bless our food. I suppose that's actually a perfect word for it. Um, but it or like starts- the guy at the farmer's market told me once this pig lived an extremely happy life. He just yeah. retired very early. <laughs> exactly. I'm making it we like put a content warning on this, you know, talk of, talk of animal slaughter. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I am a happy carnivore. <laughs> I, uh, I do explicit on all my podcasts, not for content necessarily, but just because <laughs> I want the freedom to be able to say fuck whenever I want to say fuck. Um, <laughs> so no worries there. Um, but the other thing I wanted to like bring up and then elaborate on a little bit more was like the idea of like, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a temporary thing and it's not a lifestyle. And I think that's one thing that like a lot of people really get caught up in with these, with these various eating programs, like Mm -hmm. whole 30 or even keto or paleo or veganism or whatever. Like there is not such an identity. Yeah. Like it becomes their lifestyle versus just like, if I choose to eat vegan, it's because I choose to eat vegan that day. It's not because I don't eat meat anymore or whatever. Like I just happened to like vegan. I was vegan for a while. So I happen to do still enjoy, you know, vegan food, or I definitely do gluten-free frequently um and whatnot and so and sometimes I look for keto baking recipes just because I prefer that kind of baking over regular uh wheat flour baking Mm -hmm. um but I I don't think that that it's I mean I wouldn't adopt any of it as a labeled lifestyle personally um I have done like sober October where I don't drink alcohol for a month um Mm -hmm. those sorts of things obviously like I when I was vegetarian the one thing that I noticed was that, um, and this is where you get like super observant about your food, right? Is like, I noticed that if I just ate meat, my food would be more whole than eating processed vegetarian. Yeah. Right. Go and look at those ingredient labels and you're like, oh, there's all kinds of shit in these soy patties. (laughs) And then you go look at the burgers. It's like, oh, this is just ground beef and maybe some oil or whatever. But yeah, you know, or if you make the burgers at home and you've got your meat that you purchased from butcher block or even your meat you got from the grocery store, you know, you, you control the amount of salt that's in it or whatever. And uh, I think like in general, like the idea is just eat good food that serves your body Mm-hmm. versus claiming to be keto paleo vegan right whatever well, and the other end of this spectrum for me is that I'm I'm a little bit of a hedonist you know I like to You're try free. just about anything at least once for my own direct personal experience mm-hmm. and um I mean food I, I love food on so many levels mm-hmm. um I love food uh, I'm fascinated by, you know, sort of the, the biology of it and the nutritional impact. I'm, I mm-hmm. love food as 
a social glue, like how it brings people together. Absolutely. I love food as a, you know, a, a transformational, like a change agent in society. Like you can use food as a tool for peacemaking. Yeah. Um, I, I love tasting. I love smelling. I love the process of getting out all your raw ingredients and, and I'm big on mise en place. Like I get into the kitchen and I remember playing like this even when I was a kid. So like I go into the kitchen now and I replicate my play habits from when I was a kid. Like I remember <laughs> lining up all my toys and just being very orderly with them. And I go into the kitchen now and I'm looking maybe at a recipe or I'm looking at like ingredients that I'm going to work with. And I line them up on the counter, like in the order that I need them. And I get out all my measuring cups and I put corresponding measuring cups with each ingredient that I need and <laughs> nice. I get all that stuff ready before I dig in and start. It's, it's a process. And I watch, I see all those raw ingredients just sitting there, yeah. you know, and then fast forward to like this amazing meal on your plate that you're taking pictures of and putting up on your Instagram or whatever. And, <laughs> and that transformation is still endlessly fascinating to me. So I just, I love, and especially the, the tasting, I love, you know, the chopping is so like, I really, at the end of a stressful work day, I actually really love getting into mm -hmm. the kitchen. It's de-stressing and it's kind of meditative that kind of, you don't have, you can kind of let your brain go um, because you're just washing and you're chopping and you're stirring, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I think maybe because meal prep and like timing, everything can be a challenge, like, but it's, I'm, practiced enough at it that it's kind of second nature and it's like a muscle memory right so like really just getting in getting into the kitchen like I really get into a zone like it's it's truly my happy place yeah um so I really I I go on this spectrum of like I know that there are quote-unquote you know healthy food choices um but on the other end of that spectrum like I love tasting, <laughs> you know, I love, <laughs> what, what does this taste yeah. like? What is the texture of it? Like, um, you know, oh, wow, this is so rich. It's so, you know, this goes, oh, this would pair so good with, with a Pinot or whatever, like that, that sensual right. or that depth physical of flavor. aspect of food. Yeah. I, I love that too, right? All the, all the tasting and the devouring. So really like my baseline sort of somewhere in the middle of that spectrum um, I kind of subscribe to the Michael Pollan school of, you know, eat real food, not too much, mostly plants, <laughs> like, um, and it's not without its flaws. It should definitely, there's a caveat that should be added to that, that there's a certain amount of classicism and ableism implicit in that, right? So it's like, take that recommendation and make it yours in your yeah. context, because I love the idea of eat whatever you want, as mm -hmm. long as you take the time and energy to make it yourself at home. Yeah. Um, and I fully acknowledge that not everybody exactly has the privilege to just translate directly into their own life, right? Yeah. Like if you've got CP and like fine motor skills are a challenge, then yeah, buy some processed food. If that makes your life easier, you should totally, totally. do that. You know, totally. no from me. Um, I, I know somebody with CP who talked about how much, how easy it was to just get like canned soups and then toss them with pastas. Um, oh yeah. Right. Or you can get like pre, like not making it a soup, but then you've got like a hearty, like vegetable pasta dish and it's right. a lot easier. And I'm like, you know, that's a lifestyle hack. That's go on with your bad self. I love it. Or like people who um, buy like pre-chopped, like butternut squash. Like I love yes. butternut squash, but let's just be real. 
from peeling and prepping butternut squash is a pain in the ass. Um, Right. And if you are, you know, if you've got a busy household, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that might be a really important convenience time saver. If you are like a single mom and you're working 60, 80 hours a week at some thankless, like, um, food service jobs or like retail or whatever. And like, you need to just get a pot of macaroni and cheese on the stove to make sure your kids are eating before you go for your next shift. Do it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I I think that's also where things like food and I think it needs to be couched in, in a context of, um, you know, adaptability for your circumstances in a way that works for you. However, the idea is that, you know, it's really easy to go to a store and pick up a candy bar and shove it in your face kind of mindlessly. Whereas if you made a candy bar at home, um, <laughs> number one, it's cheaper. Number right. two, you know exactly what all the ingredients are. Um, well, and-, in. and number three, like when you take the time and the energy to do that yourself, you're probably mm. going to sit with it and savor it and enjoy it and appreciate it a whole lot more. That said, not everybody has that privilege. So Michael Pollan is kind of a two-edged sword for me. Yeah. Well, I was just like, I was going to say like, you know, we talked about energy and purchasing the food, but there's also the energy in cooking the food. And when you, you know, um, I, (laughs) I make chili and my chili is like super basic, but yet everybody who's ever had it loves it, like loves it. They like, it's the best chili ever. And I'm like, I don't even, I've had better chili personally than mine. But you know, salt, pepper, and olive oil sometimes. Oh, you need, yeah, right. Like so, I'm like, I don't know what I do differently other than the energy and the joy of actually making the chili. You know that energy that you put Mm. behind making the food, or the joy that you have that you're making a satisfying dish for yourself, your friends, your family, yeah, that sort of thing, versus just plopping ingredients into a pot. And yeah. calling it dinner, like you're, it's the energy, the difference in the energy you're putting behind what you're doing. Um, but then the other thing that I was going to mention was we talked about like, what if it works, it works. And that's where things like Blue Apron and Home Chef and yeah. like that come into play. And I do notice that with those, um, well, I don't know so much about any about um, Blue Apron, but I know with Home Chef, I used that one. They do have um, dietary restriction type things. So if you don't Mm -hmm. want soy, if you don't want dairy, if you don't want this or that, they do have those options available for you. Um, personally, I don't like those because that's a lot of crap to throw in the garbage. Um, packaging waste is just too much for me, but, um, but to each their own. But the other thing I'll say is, uh, I was recently at a farmer's market here in Arizona and, um, there were a couple of catering companies there and I'm like, I never even thought to have a catering company do my meal prep on the weeks when I have like tons of work I want to get done. You know, if I want to do a lot of like creative stuff, I don't always have the capacity to create in the kitchen and then go create for the Patreon or for the upcoming months programs or the book I'm writing or whatever, like the creativity gets, you know, gets stuck at some point. And so sometimes it's like, that's where the convenience food comes into play. But even then I've gotten way more conscious about the convenience food that I eat and, you know, how I choose it and whatever. Um, that's actually one thing I miss about the Bay area, to be honest with you, is, um, 
the availability of really nice convenience food. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, well, we definitely, in addition to weather privilege, we definitely have produce privilege in, yeah, in California. Sure. I, I spent a year in Louisiana, and that was the first time in my life when I realized the, the privilege that I had being a native Californian, I totally took for granted <laughs> just the abundance yeah. of amazing fresh produce that's just available year round. Yeah. Like you can get yeah. anything you need. And I went to Louisiana and like, you know, the vegetables are practically rotting the minute I take them out the door. I started buying canned mushrooms because I couldn't use my mushrooms fast enough. They were just slimy and irretrievable. Like by I, the time I got to them. And then oh, I went yes. to that. This is, this is definitely like a culture clash. Um, I, uh, wanted to get some fresh mint to put in a fruit salad, which is really, really super tasty. Uh, and I went to the, the, there was a person in pro in the produce section and I asked if there was fresh mint and, and he said, ma'am, I've, I've managed this produce section for seven years and you are the first person to ask me for fresh <laughs> mint. Um, but mustard greens, you know, were certainly in abundance. And if you went to the freezer <laughs> section, they had prefab um, seasoning, which of course is the holy trinity of onion, bell pepper, and celery, which uh -huh. I don't think I could find in a freezer section here, but it was in, you know, <laughs> pre-bagged in Louisiana. So, so this is part of the beauty of our country, right? It's so big and diverse. Diverse um, and yes. travel to a different part and you get totally, totally, totally different. different experience. I love it. And of course yeah. my, my lens is always food because that's just how I, it's how I seem to interpret the world. I turn everything into like a food centric. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and it's funny, like I've lived in, I lived in Chicago for a good majority of my adult life. And then I lived in California for a short minute. And then I moved here to Arizona and, you know, it's like they, the Arizona can't even, they can't even compare because they're just not foodie here. I, there's no <laughs> even like it's hard pressed to find like good stuff here. There's, I mean, I haven't even had pizza here. I haven't had pizza since I left Chicago. To me, it's just not worth it anywhere else. Which is um, weird because I've been on a highly irregular like pizza <laughs> obsession lately that I can't even explain myself. I have two <laughs> friends in my life who, one was has just been traditionally extremely obsessed with pizza and the other um, just ate a lot of pizza because she has a big family and it was a convenience thing. And uh -huh. both of them are, are, changing their diet and have <laughs> pizza and I feel like I've somehow like magically Inherited. absorbed their pizza <laughs> life because lately like it just seems to come up in my life I'm not even like working hard at it as a matter of fact when there. I served in the Peace Corps I got so tired of pizza because it was like the only non-local food like I wanted to eat something that was not local food mm -hmm. it always seemed to be pizza and I actually got really sick of pizza in oh, the Peace Corps. And then I came back and like everywhere I went, people were serving me pizza. And I was like, no more pizza. I don't want any <laughs> pizza. pizza. I was like, uh... I can't. And now I'm like obsessed with it and like learning about different styles. And uh... Well, but then, and like in Chicago, you know, you've got these like hole in the wall places and, and hole in the wall family owned restaurants. And, and obviously you have that in the Bay Area as well. And then you come here yeah. and it's like almost all chains and franchises and yeah. very few um, unique anything. There's a few coffee shops here and there, but there's not the, not to the degree that there was in either Chicago or the Bay Area as far as food goes. So I will say, I don't, I don't have an authentic basis for comparison because I've never actually had Detroit style pizza from Detroit. Uh, 
However, Pizza Hut has a surprisingly good Detroit style pizza. So if you happen <laughs> to have a Pizza Hut there and you get a hankering for a completely unhealthy lifestyle choice, <laughs> um, I do recommend the Detroit style pizza at Pizza Hut. I will keep that in mind. I can't, like I said, I can't remember the last time I had pizza. Like it was probably, actually it was a year ago in February <laughs> when I went to Chicago overnight and I, I, they, my friends I stayed with, like, what do you want for dinner? I'm like, pizza. Like, <laughs> what do you I've never had it anywhere else. I didn't even have pizza when I was in California, except for pizza that my friends and I made together, which is truly amazing. Mm. But, um, but yes, so um all right uh let's like kind of just wrap this up a little bit and where can people find you have a blog and we're gonna post it in the show notes so tell us about your blog uh it starts with quiche.com i'm apparently on a mission to make sure the world knows how to properly spell quiche Uh, so (laughs) if if you're not certain it is q-u-i-c-h-e uh and and the backstory really quickly is that i mean i there's even a blog post up there kind of about the roots of my food inclination. And that is to say, I did not grow up um, around great cooks or foodies, or I had a very like sort of bland, moderately mediocre food experience. It was kind of 80s Americana. Um, And so I went into early adulthood, really not being able to cook very much. Um, I, I loved going out to eat with my friends. I appreciated good food, um, but mostly as far as my own kitchen was concerned, I considered food like a vehicle for nutrition. I had a couple things that I could do reasonably well, but I, I otherwise didn't put a lot of energy into it. Uh, and I started hanging out with a friend of mine um, who called me one night and said, I need like, I need to make quiche and cheesecake for 300 people. Like, come over and help me. And I was like, I don't know how to make quiche. I don't even know what's in quiche. You know, I don't know if I can make a cheesecake. And she's like, it's okay. Just, just come over and smoke pot with me and just hang out in the kitchen while I do it. It's <laughs> like, okay. Nice. <laughs> All right. So I hung out with her in her kitchen and I watched, and now when I say quiche and cheesecake for 300 people, I don't mean full servings. Um, She grew up in a kind of an affluent family and her mother owned an antique store and her mom's antique store was part of this like art walk event where people would buy some kind of ticket or passport. And then you go and you walk, it's a whole, you know, antique stores tend to collect you have a whole like strip of them in a neighborhood or like yeah. in a downtown area. And then they would walk and it was this kind of, you know, having some kind of bite or nibble yeah. for people when they visit your store. So this is like literally like bite-sized portions, right? But it yeah. was still a lot. Um, <clears throat> and I got to watch her make, you know, all this quiche and all this cheesecake. And I watched, I was especially interested in, in the quiche. I was like, I don't think I'd ever even had quiche before at that point, right? I let alone would I know how to make it. Mm-hmm. And I watched it mm-hmm. and I was like, this is so easy. And it's so good. And it's so easy and it's so good. And I like developed this low-grade quiche obsession where I started, well, I started making it a lot at home. And I realized like I could invite people over. Like it was an excuse to have friends at my house instead of me going out. Like I was emerging into this sort of role as entertainer. Like I was developing this confidence around using food as a, as a tool to bring people together. Um, 
and and I would I would tinker with the ingredients and I would always go back to her base recipe um, but it just became something that I love to do and and it just kind of snowballed from there where I started really enjoying making food and like yeah. having people over and we I remember we went for the whole group of my my social circle at that time we went out for a picnic and up to that point <clears throat> and still probably for some time after I was always the person that swung by by Trader Joe's on the way and picked up like Thomas <laughs> and pita chips I'm like I'm here <laughs> Here's the Thomas and pita chips. Um, and I actually had like a boxed version of couscous and I was like I'm gonna make some real food like chopped tomatoes I chopped cucumber I you know like I took some time and I made made the effort to bring this couscous yeah and everybody was just shocked they were like you made this <laughs> I was like yeah so it, it really snowballed from there and I just started doing it more and more and more and and I realized so this all projects over the course of a number of years and it kind of culminates with my service in the Peace Corps I served in the Kyrgyz Republic from um uh <laughs> oh my god Whew, 2014 to 2015 I had to think about that for a second. <laughs> it's been, been a, a minute. It's been a minute. Um, and it, there were many wonderful things about Peace Corps service. It was it was the, the experience of a lifetime. Uh, it was not without its challenges and difficulties. That is for certain. Um, Peace Corps volunteers don't go to other countries because it's easy to be there. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason that the Peace Corps volunteers are there. It's because the places are not entirely stable or entirely easy to navigate or be right. in. Yeah. Um, and I found over the course of my Peace Corps service, I was one of the very, very few lucky volunteers that ended up with an apartment of my own in the capital city in Bishkek. And I had this tiny little rundown closet of a kitchen um, with a, a broadcast stove that barely had one burner that worked and the, <laughs> the oven was wired shut like a broken jaw. Um, and I just found that uh, every time I was de-stressing or avoiding some responsibility that I was, didn't want to deal with, I was in my kitchen, I was cooking and cleaning and I had yeah. an, a, a wonderful uh, language tutor that I met with every week while I was there. And she was really one of the most important figures in terms of my cultural experience. She really um, was wonderful and patient with me and guided me through a lot of aspects of, of Kyrgyz culture. And, and a lot of that was food related, right? Like she mm -hmm. let me borrow her, her like uh, counter mounted hand meat grinder so that mm -hmm. I could process um, was it five kilos of tomatoes and three kilos of red peppers and a kilo of garlic um, and a splash of high power vinegar that I don't think you can even get in the United States <laughs> it's not allowed because it's moderately corrosive um, to make this wonderful preprava it's a like kind of a it's kind of salsa basically yeah right? but yeah uh, really delicious you know, and she, you know, I couldn't get like my jams right. And she was guiding me on jams and she taught me how to make kefir. Um, and I had a really good kefir culture going while I was there. Um, and she really guided me through a lot of that. And it was really like that, that was the time that I really embraced and acknowledged that the kitchen is like my happy place. This yeah. is where I go. This is what mm -hmm. I love to do. This is where I find joy. This is, this is the direction I need to pivot. 
Um, and I started this little blog, it starts with quiche because this, it's kind of this combination of my journey to finding my happy place, you know, yeah. where it crosses the intersection of, of food. So if you go on there, it's not like a recipe blog. I don't share recipes. Their mm-hmm. internet is already like super full. Um, if you need a recipe for something, you know, just do a little Googling, you'll find something. Right. <laughs> I promise. Um, and as a matter of fact, that's what I spend a lot of time doing. And I find recipes that sound amazing and I, I download them and I try them and I immediately have opinions about what I would change or how I would do, or how I would do it differently <laughs> anyways. And when it comes to my own personal habits, right, I don't, I don't think I could post my own recipes because I never make the same thing twice, right? Like some people... Yeah some people meal prep, you know, that's how they stay healthy and, and, and budget conscious. Um, but the last thing, if I'm working full-time, the last thing I want to do on a Sunday is, is meal prep. Yeah. Um, or some people, um, do their menu planning, like at the beginning of the week, and then they just buy those ingredients. And I'm like, I think that's kind of expensive, actually. <laughs> like, yeah, I just buy what's on sale and then make something. <laughs> like, that's, that's my approach. And I have this is like my my superpower. I truly believe this. Yeah, um, I have an amazing ability to repurpose leftovers, use up every last little scrap of this, that or the other thing that's in the fridge um, and maximize the use of food. So literally like one meal leads into another leads into another for a week or more sometimes you know like recently I roasted a whole chicken on a bed of veg we had a little dinner from that and then I stripped the carcass um I tossed the veg into a soup pot and I used half of the meat to make a giant bowl of chicken salad that we had for lunch like the next day and then I used the rest of the meat to make a giant pot of soup um, I had leftover soup for lunch. We had it for dinner. I had leftover soup for lunch. The very last bowl of soup became like a shakshuka. Um, you know, if there's only one bowl of soup and we're trying to feed two people, like eggs mm-hmm. are like the most flexible and wonderful food. You can add eggs, <laughs> everything, you know, <laughs> eggs are so versatile and they just, they, they bulk things out and they make things, they stretch things out. And, um, so like you just simmer some eggs in whatever leftover soup stretch you have or whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. if you've got some rice, like take the other leftover stuff and make fried rice. Right. Um, so that's really my approach to, to kitchen work is that I never make the same thing twice because I'm always just using what I have. Yeah. Um, and so that's really a lot of what I write about um, on nice. my blog. Is so my, my recent obsession is lemons. I have my most recent post is about citrus and I, I do have a follow-up post coming. And if you read it, you would understand why. <laughs> nice. So it starts with quiche.com. Cool. And so then, um, and, and, and Justin, you talking about the blog, like kind of answers the next part of this, which is like, you know, your, your journey with Whole30 and your journey as, as being a foodie, you know, kind of tidal waved into you finding your joy in your life. It yeah. sounds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Do you want to elaborate on that, Annie? Well, I... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, so in my, I, I, I worked at a nonprofit, I had a pretty high stress, you know, nonprofit industrial complex job. Um, and once upon a time, my, my boss tasked her entire department. Um, it's just like, we all kind of rolled our eyes and went, we, we have work to do, we don't need this assignment, you know, but it's, it's an investment. She wanted us to tell her, you know, by the end of the day, or by the end of the week, you know, tell me three things you're going to do 
to manage your stress, you know, <laughs> like it was something kind of like that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I chose and followed through on was to take learning breaks, carve out like five, 10, 15 minutes, once or twice a day, whatever, you know, however it worked out um, to learn something. So finding short videos or really short podcasts mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. Uh, and in the Googling that I did to, to do that, I came across Gretchen Rubin, um, who, if you're like into happiness, she's, she's mm-hmm. like kind of one of the foremost happiness, um, writers, thinkers, um, she's yeah. been writing, she's got the several books out. Projects. She's got yeah. a, mm-hmm. a, a podcast that's been out. Um, it's a little like suburban housewifey for me at times, but for the most part, like as soon as I started listening to her podcast, I was, I felt a little smug sense of satisfaction at first. Cause I was like, Oh, I do that. Yeah. I totally do that. Oh, I do that. You know, <laughs> but am I happy? You know? And then the more I dug in and the more I listened, the more I was like, Ooh, that's a great idea. You know, you pick up all these little yeah. happiness hacks and it's like the idea that um, happiness is not, a destination it's it's a process and it's a choice and it it has as much to do with your physical space as it does your mental space you know happiness is not necessarily like your mental well-being because your mental well-being is tied to your external environment so sometimes yeah. like being happier can be as simple as you know keeping your home cleaner and more organized and sometimes mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you know, buying a bunch of organizing bins and things like that, it means getting rid of stuff. <laughs> it means clearing out the clutter. And, and she, so she does have a lot of strategies for clutter clearing and things like that kind of before, even more before Marie Kondo, mm-hmm. it's not exactly a Marie Kondo approach, but there's, there's definitely some overlap. So yeah. it's really like, I kind of started developing an obsession with happiness like, what does it mean mm-hmm. to be happy? And, you know, how do you get there? Like, what is that? A lot? What is that like? You know, yeah. it's a choice for one thing. Yeah. Um, it's an attitude. It's energy, right? Like you're very energy oriented. It has everything to do mm-hmm. with the energy that you come to everything with, you know, how you mm-hmm. respond to the world, you know, shitty things are going to happen. And like, there are going to be shitty people in your life. Um, but how you respond to them is really, really the key to that. So it was, I, I started drawing like this really big connection between food uh, and the joy that it brought me mm-hmm. in all it's different, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, Aspects. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's just so many food is something that everybody needs, you know, and, and it's the, the, you know, the way we celebrate cultural traditions and celebrate people. Uh, my mom, was notorious for this sweet potato or yam, <laughs> like they're, they're mislabeled <laughs> in the store, the canned yams, which are actually sweet potatoes, canned yams and pineapple, you know, baked in a casserole with marshmallows every holiday season. And it was almost like everybody just rolled their eyes. Vivian's bringing her thing again. Um, and even after doing the whole 30, I'm like, oh God, that's so sweet. <laughs> Cause I'm pretty sure she also <laughs> added a bunch of brown sugar. Probably. Um, <laughs> I, I lost my mom this year and I at Thanksgiving I made the sweet potatoes with pineapple and marshmallows and it was mm. kind of like bringing my mom back to the table yeah. you know and uh going through her house we found um we found a collection of recipes well number one my stepfather's mom 
uh, was an enthusiastic cook. She was delightful. Uh, and we found a ton of like three by five cards with all her recipes on them. Mm -hmm. um, so we brought those home. And we also found a collection of recipes that actually belonged to my father's mom. Wow. And some of those recipes are family recipes. Some of them were, you know, just collected from neighbors and friends and things like that. But Sterling and I have had a wonderful time, like making these recipes. And it's almost yeah. like playing with dead relatives, you know, yeah. it's like reconnecting to your I family. I love that. It's like through food, you know, I and, and the, my father's mother's little collection of, of recipes. This is like depression era stuff. Yeah. So there's, there's like, you know, there's like a, a fruitcake, which technically <laughs> is not whole 30, but I was, I was content enough to call it whole 30. It's basically <laughs> a fruitcake of like, you take uh, prunes and dates, um, oh, one other and walnuts. Basically, you just whip it all together in a food processor and press it into a loaf pan oh. and then sprinkle the top with crushed walnuts. Oh. Um, and it's got kind of the texture of a cake. Oh. Um, so in terms of ingredients, it is very Whole30 friendly. If you think of it as, as a dessert, it's that whole psychological relationship to food, technically. It's a no-no. Um, right. But I'm very flexible with the, the psychological um, relationship to food, which is why I could not do a whole 30 as a permanent lifestyle. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't, that's what I mean. Like, I don't think that any of these are meant to be like lifestyle. Right. I think that if we actually just use them as eliminations to learn yeah. what our body can and can't do, or can and can't process well, yeah, you know, well, if you're on Whole30, eggs are Whole30 friendly and bananas are Whole30 friendly, but making pancakes out of them is not. Because <laughs> you fry them? You know, but if I'm not doing a Whole30, like, yeah, I might try to make pancakes out of bananas and eggs. Like, <laughs> It's actually delicious. I make right? that all the time. <laughs> so, you know, it's like you you got to do what works for you. You got to totally. you got to customize, you know. It's totally. Totally. Well, and I think like, you know, you talked about like the milk in your coffee earlier on and like how that became like your digestive, you know, one of your digestive upsets. And, yeah. and as I was sharing earlier, um, I like drink a lot of water because I live in the desert and like, I couldn't figure out like what in my nutrition was making me have like serious heartburn, like to the point where I didn't even feel like eating anything because my heartburn was getting so, so bad. I was like, what the hell is even going on? And um, prior to buying the water filter, my friend had given me a couple of bottles of water and I drank them and I didn't have the problem. I was like, holy shit, it's the water. Oh my gosh. And I had heard that Phoenix area water was really bad. I have a few other friends that live in the area and they don't drink the water here either. But I didn't think anything of it. Mm -hmm. I just thought mm -hmm. nothing of it. I'm like, I'm drinking lots of water because I live in the desert. It's what you do here. Uh, so then I bought a water filter and I have been fine ever since. Let's <laughs> see, so. you just, you find the one thing. And, and, and be with that one thing. Yeah. So anything else that you want to share? You know, you covered a lot of ground, a lot of foodie stuff and, um, it's been great. Yeah, we did. I, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, I could talk about food endlessly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, <laughs> if uh, if mark bitman needs any like more support <laughs> staff or if seven nostrat is looking for some kitchen support like i'm i'm free <laughs> 
yeah. And so, and, and because of all of this, you did leave your, your current, your previous job and you are Mm -hmm. looking at, you know, doing something within the food industry in some capacity at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so, I want, I want to play with food. Like, can I put that on my resume? Yeah. (laughs) That's a a transferable skill. (laughs) I just, I love tinkering and experimenting and seeing like all the things that are possible. Um, I love DIY, like as much as possible. One of the things that I learned to make in Kyrgyzstan, um, was pickles, like simple pickles. Yeah. And they're so good. And I feel like I can never buy pickles ever again because really this is super easy, but honestly, I don't make them very often because the little pickling cucumbers, you know, unless you catch them at just the right time, they're, they're kind of pricey. And like, I actually Mm -hmm. have to go to the farmer's market, which is in the COVID times is a little bit more of a haul. Um, but I feel this sense of like, I could make that. So I don't want to buy it. And I do that with a lot of things. Um, Mm -hmm. We keep our vegetable scraps and we, and, and our, our bones. And we regularly have like homemade vegetable stock and like bone broth Mm -hmm. in our refrigerator. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Stuff like that. Uh, The lemon blog Mm -hmm. is a whole other conversation in and of itself. I'm currently obsessed with lemons, which is in part why I've been dessert obsessed for (laughs) the the whole beginning of the year. Um, Because I have all this like lemon product at my command now. Uh, and, and you can do a lot with lemon, both sweet and savory, but it does lead to a Absolutely. lot of desserts. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So I think peanut butter cups are going to be my next, um, um, when I have the right, uh, uh, space to do so. Um, peanut I butter, have a recipe own. that I have not used yet and I'm dying to do it. Um, that has tahini inside instead of peanut butter. Ooh. Right. Doesn't that sound couple, amazing? I know a couple people who might be uh, at your door if you make those. On social media. <laughs> half the time that I spend on social media, I'm really just reading food blogs and like downloading recipes. Yes, for um, sure. And I'm like, I want to make that. I want to make that. And it's like, I collect recipes that I want to make faster than I can actually make, make them. But, you know, like I order half and half. If I need half and half, I tend to order stuff from Costco. And it's like, I have no fear of ordering more than I think I need because I will find a way to preserve it. <laughs> it'll be, it'll get you. It. <laughs> I, I bought like a half, I needed like, you know, a quarter cup or a half a cup or something of half and half for a recipe. Um, and I got this like half gallon and, you know, it's like, what can I do with half and half? You know, like I've got two giant jars of caramel in my refrigerator now. Like I put it in a pasta dish the other night, you know, just like preserving and repurposing. I've got all kinds of interesting packages in my freezer. Um, the, the lemon abundance, I've got two quart sized jars of lemon peels soaking in vodka. One of them is going to be a lemon cello and the other one is just going to be extract. Um, looking at the potential for like, how can I get the most bang for my buck? How can I extend this out and make it last and make it really economical? Like I'm super, not to mention food waste because food waste, um, broadly speaking is a huge issue. Yeah. And I hear my, my little grandmother, um, who did grow up in the depression, you know, and she used to constantly like waste, waste, waste. <laughs> she was yes. obsessed with waste, you know? Yes, for oh. sure. For sure. <laughs> Sweet. That's probably where I came by it. That's, that's, I love it. I love it. <laughs> 
Sweet. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to have you just sit tight for one second for me. I'm going to do magical things. Um, and before I, hold on, come on, there we go. Before I end the recording, let me just close out the episode. Thanks for listening to the podcast, uh, Divinely You Podcast. Again, you can find us on Instagram at Divinely You Podcast. Please share this episode, listen to it. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, all of the things. Uh, Patreon.com slash Divinely You is where you can find the monthly program. And I will see you on the next episode. Thanks for joining me. Sit tight, Serena.